Good evening. It's good to see you guys out here tonight. Um, it's always exciting to be able to preach from God's Word. Um, it's really helpful for me as I look through these things personally, and so hopefully some of these things can be helpful for you tonight. Um, I feel like we've spent a lot of time up here in the book of Acts recently, and so I'm going to kind of keep along with that theme. We're going to be in Acts chapter 4, and hopefully we're familiar with the book of Acts by now. Um, but it's going to be a textual study, a textual sermon. And so I would encourage you to turn there, to follow along, and to see what God has to say. Specifically tonight, I've entitled our lesson as Boldness. And that idea is seen throughout this chapter, but if you would look at verse 13, that's where we're going to be looking at tonight. That's, that's our, really our key verse for this chapter. Acts 4, verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Now, this idea is what we're going to explore, why that's so important. And it's my hope and my prayer that as we, as we go through this study, that we'll be led to be a more bold people and that we would, others would be able to recognize Jesus just by looking at us, just by looking at our lives. So before we get, jump into chapter 4, I think it's important we understand the context of what we're dealing with here. So the first three chapters, I'll just give you a quick preview or overview of the first three chapters. In chapter 1, we saw a recap of the ascension of Jesus. And we see his disciples dedicated together to prayer and to study. We see them choose Matthias as an apostle. And they saw that needed to be done because of their studying and prayer that they were involved in. And we see the Holy Spirit come upon the apostles, and we'll continue to see the Holy Spirit's role in his work through the apostles. And then, last but not least, we see the Lord has added many people to the church, to his body. So a lot's happened in these, in these first three chapters that brings us up to chapter four. And a lot has happened that's gotten the attention of some people, and specifically some rulers of these people. And it's not, it's not the good kind of attention they, they were not too happy. They were, chapter 4, verse 2, they were greatly annoyed by this teaching, by everything that's been going on. And there's been miracles performed, the gospel's been preached, and, and it's gotten them a little upset. And so that, that kind of sets us up for chapter 4. So we're going to go ahead and read the first four verses here. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men, or the number of the men came to about 5,000. So what I want to draw your attention to here is why there is a need for boldness. Just here in verse 1, we're going to meet opposition. Our words, when we're proclaiming the gospel of Jesus, not everyone is going to want to hear that. As disciples of Jesus, we're going to be, there's going to be people who oppose, who oppose that. And in this case, it's the rulers. It was the government. And they were so upset that they actually decided to put them in prison. And so at that point, you know, you're being thrown in prison for what you're doing and it's like, well, that, that's game over, right? You know, all that I did, everything, it's all lost because I'm thrown in prison. But verse 4, many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. 
So their efforts were not in vain. All that they had done, it had an impact on the people around them. There were people that believed in the gospel and obeyed, and because of that, were saved. So my second point here is we can have a positive influence on those around us. Because think about these new converts here for a minute. Think about what they would have witnessed when they saw these men thrown in prison. They were preaching about Jesus. They were teaching. And, you know, these converts believed. They believed what they had heard and were baptized. And then they see them get thrown in prison. What kind of effect do you think that would have on them? Well, I think a couple things. First of all, they're going to see the cost of Christianity, right? They're going to see that this, we're in it for the long haul, right? It takes everything. This is, this is, a, this is an investment. But they're also going to see the value of Christianity. They're going to see Peter and John, they did not back away just because they were going to get thrown in prison, but they saw the value of what they had. And because of that, they firmly believed in what they were doing. And so our actions can have, can have an effect on those watching us. They're going to see why do we do what we do? How do we handle ourselves in these situations? And are we showing boldness in these situations? Or are we just kind of blending in with the crowd, blending in with the world that we live in in our society, and just trying to get along our day without any sort of confrontation, without any headbutting? And sometimes, you know, that's hard to think about. But as Christians, we can't be about blending in. We have to, we have to stand out because what we're doing is different. So that brings us to verse 5. Let's go ahead and read a few more verses here. Verse 5 through 12. On the next day, the rulers and the elders and the scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So here, they were brought before the rulers. They're questioned. They're asked, you know, why are you doing these things? By what authority do you have the right to do this? But really, the apostles have been given the authority by Jesus. So by challenging their authority, they're challenging the authority of God. They're challenging the authority of Jesus. And so what do you do in that situation? When someone is challenging God, what are we going to do? Are we going to have the boldness to stand up for Jesus when the gospel is challenged? Are we going to have boldness to do the right thing? And in this case, Peter didn't even hesitate. He immediately responded to them. And, you know, he wasn't even shy about it. He didn't beat around the bush. He went straight to the whole truth and spoke boldly on something very controversial to them. And the fact is, that the truth we're dealing with, it's narrow, it's unpopular, people don't like it, and it takes boldness to proclaim, and that's why we're talking about boldness tonight. You know, in today's religious um, communities, people want multiple routes to salvation, right? They want to say, you know, well, we just want to do what's, what makes us happy. You know, if, if that's what makes you happy, you know, God wants you to be happy too. And we want to have all these multiple ways of heaven, all, all roads lead to the same place sort of, sort of deal. 
But, but that's not what we see here. It takes boldness to stand up for what's right. It's easy to be inclusive, but it takes boldness to stand up for what's right. So that brings us to verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. I think this is probably my favorite verse in this whole chapter, and maybe in the book of Acts. Sometimes when it comes to this idea of boldness, I think it's easy for us to think that, you know, when we're preaching the gospel or, or proclaiming, telling someone about Jesus, that it takes, it takes a lot of skill or, you know, we need to have an education or, you know, it's really easy to make up excuses, right? I'm not talented enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not, I'm not all these excuses we have. Someone else could do better than me. But the good news is we don't have to be a scholar to be bold. And that's what this verse tells us. These were just normal men, normal people, uneducated, common. And that sounds, that sounds a lot like me, right? That's, that's, I don't have to have all of this prestige to be able to talk about Jesus, to be able to talk about the gospel, because it makes no difference who I am. It makes no difference if you're shy, if you're timid. It makes no difference if you're a good speaker. It really doesn't. These were normal people. Because there was nothing special about them. What was special is the people recognized who they had been with, who they had been spending time with, and that was Jesus. Right? Boldness is not found in ourselves. Boldness is not found in our personalities. Boldness is found in the Lord. And they recognized that. They recognized that because they had been spending time with Jesus, and others saw that. So, you know, our question we need to ask each other tonight is have I been spending time with Jesus? You know? Paul, let's look over at Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 and verse 16. Paul said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Have you ever thought about why Paul said that? Why did he have to clarify, I am not ashamed of the gospel? It seems like that'd be something obvious, right? He's an, he's an apostle. Well, duh, Paul, you're not ashamed of the gospel. That's like your job. But like he clarified, I am not ashamed of the gospel. And then went on to explain. And so I think it's possible, you know, with our study time about boldness, that Paul saw there's, an attempta- there's a temptation to be ashamed. When we're dealing with something that's unpopular, there's a temptation to be ashamed, to back away. And we need to understand what the gospel is about, about the power of God for salvation. We need to understand that so that when we go to proclaim the gospel to others, we understand its importance and we understand why there is a need for boldness. Let's keep going down in chapter 4. Chapter 4, back in Acts, verse 14. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus." 
But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them and let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. So I think these are some challenging verses here for us. In verse 14, the best way for these rulers to stop the spread of the gospel, to stop them from teaching, would have been to discredit the people that are proclaiming the gospel. But that was a problem for them because they were doing some pretty amazing things. They were performing these signs, these miracles, you know, to back up the authority that they were teaching with. And so they couldn't, they couldn't figure out how to discredit them. So they're getting together, they're talking, and they figure out the best way is to just tell them to stop talking about Jesus, to be quiet, to order them to do that. What do you think the easy thing to do in that situation would have been? I think the temptation would have been to agree to do that because you want to avoid conflict, right? The natural thing for us is to avoid conflict at all costs. Because it's just awkward, right? Conflict is not something we want to have to deal with. So we probably would have wanted to give in and listen. I'm sure that was a temptation for them here. They might have been, you know, even tempted to think, you know, I've done some good work here. I've already preached the gospel here. So maybe I can just just agree with it and, you know, just kind of go my way, not butt heads with them. But that's, that's not even close to what their response was here. That was not their mindset. It says they refused to be silent, even after the court ordered it. I think that's, their response here is, is, is so amazing. It's very simple. In verse 19, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Is that how we feel about our relationship with Jesus? We cannot but speak about it? We're so indebted to him that it just feels wrong not to talk about him? What about us? What, what would we do if we had a court order that said, you know, Charlestown Road, Church of Christ, you are no longer allowed to talk about Jesus in your community. You're no longer allowed to teach the gospel. What would we say? I think it's easy for us to maybe say, oh, you know, I do the same thing, same thing as, as Peter and John. I'd, I'd definitely, you know, keep, keep telling others about Jesus and, and, you know, do the same thing. And while I hope that's true, the truth of the matter today is we have we have no such court order. And, and what are we doing? There, there's nothing to stop us from telling others about Jesus. But how well am I doing that? I have the ability to speak freely about Jesus without fear of persecution by the government, without fear of being put in prison. But if I'm not doing that right now, what makes me think I'd do anything differently in this situation? And it's not a time to point fingers at each other. You know, this is a time of self-reflection for me to think, how am I doing and how can I do this better? You know, just some examples from personal experience. How often do I see someone maybe sitting in a coffee shop reading a Bible or somebody, you overhear somebody having a somewhat spiritual conversation in public and you kind of just walk right on by without saying anything because, you know, I don't have time for that right now. You know, it's just, it's just going to be an awkward conversation. I don't really know them. But you're familiar with the Ethiopian eunuch, right? He was traveling. He had the scroll of Isaiah open. He was reading from it. But he didn't know who he was reading about. And he needed someone. He needed a Philip to be able to pull him aside and explain it to him. Well, what if someone else is in need of that? 
What if they need an explanation? Or how often do I hear someone say something that they shouldn't have said or use the Lord's name in vain, but instead of correcting that, I decide, eh, that's, that's too awkward. I don't really have time for that right now. And so the list just goes on and on of ways that I can do better to be a better disciple of Jesus, ways that I can understand boldness better from a biblical perspective. Because we need to see every single person, when we're out in society, we need to see them as not just a random stranger, but as a lost soul. They are in need of a savior because this is not a game that we're playing. This is serious. This is about our eternal destiny. And we, as Christians, we have a cure for the most evil, disgusting cancer that ever existed, and that's sin. We have a cure for sin. Have you ever thought of it like that? We have a cure for something horrible like that. And how would we ever want to keep that from someone? And that's the importance of boldness in chapter, Acts chapter 4. We have to speak of what we have seen and heard, like Peter and John said. We need to be more like them. We need to be more like Jesus. And that leads us into our next section in verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with all boldness. So after all of this has happened, after they've been ordered to talk no more about Jesus, they've been threatened, they've been thrown in prison, and then they're released, they do a couple of th important things right off the bat. And I believe it's because they recognized that there are temptations that come with receiving threats. Yes, they've already, they've already stood up for what they believe. They've already showed boldness. But how easy is it to do it again and again and again? It begins to wear on you. And so they recognize that, and immediately what they do is they go to seek comfort and support from like-minded brethren. At times like this, when we're vulnerable, when maybe we're weak, we're feeling weary, we have to be really careful about the people that we're surrounding ourselves with and making sure we're not surrounding ourselves with bad influences. We need to surround ourselves with brothers and sisters who can provide the comfort and support that we need because God's, God's design for the church is very intentional. We need each other. We need the reminder that we're not alone. And sometimes we need the encouragement and support of each other. Sometimes we just need a reminder that what we're doing is the right thing to keep going. You can have a direct impact on your brother or sister in Christ, on their boldness, on their spiritual walk. Because boldness is not a thing of independence. It's not how strong I am. Look how bold I am. 
It's really about, it's, it's more about our fellowship that helps us to be bold. Recognizing our dependence on each other and on Christ. That's how we're able to be bold. And the next thing they do here is they lift their voices to God. They pray. Because without God, we're absolutely nothing. There's no, there's no amount of boldness that we can have that'll help us without God. And so I think there's some important things we can learn if we look, look at their prayer here. Look at the nature of their prayer. The first thing they do is recognize who God is. Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. They recognize God as sovereign. They recognize God as the creator of all things. And how we recognize God, that's going to affect our prayer. And we need to consider that. We need to make sure that we're looking at God correctly. And then they quoted from God's word, specifically from Psalm 2, when they said, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. So they, it was a reminder from God's word about what was going to happen. It was already told that people would resist what was to come. They would resist God it was already told that there was going to be persecution. This is not something new. And, you know, that might be kind of disheartening, but it's, it should be encouraging because it's showing that God has seen this. God has shown us that this is what's supposed to happen. And then it makes it all better because we know that God's plan is not being overthrown. It's just this is exactly what he said was going to happen. And in verse 29, they ask for boldness. They've already shown boldness. They've already shown they know how to be bold in these hard situations. And yet these bold people still prayed for boldness. So how much more do I need to be praying for boldness? And they recognized where that boldness came from, right? The fact that they prayed for boldness, they, didn't, they knew it wasn't from themselves. They knew they weren't bold people. But they were bold. They were able to be bold because God was with them, because they are dependent on him. And then they continue in this prayer, and they're, they're asking God to equip them for this work that they have in front of them. They didn't ask God for greatness, but rather to be used to show God's greatness. And sometimes I think it's easy for us, you know, in these hard situations, to want to pray to God to, to just remove you from it, right? To get you out of here. God, I just want this to go away. But notice that's not what they're praying about. They're praying that God would give them the strength to get through this. They're praying that God would not change the circumstances, but that God would change them to fit the circumstances. And I think that's really important when we think about our prayer life. That's an important difference. And then we see here at the end that God answered their prayer immediately. And that doesn't always happen. God answers as he sees fit. And we see, we see the boldness here at the end, and we see the Holy Spirit's connection associated, his presence associated with boldness. So to take from this, my job is to pray and to be bold, and then God gives as he sees fit. So verse 31, they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. We've been given here in Acts 4 a perfect outline of how to live bold lives, of how to pray to God, how to pray for boldness how to spread the good news, how to spread the gospel, how to not shy away from talking about Jesus. 
So what about us tonight? I think we need to reconsider our efforts. Am I really doing as good as I could? Am I, am I acting like Peter and John here? Am I looking for ways to share the gospel, or am I waiting for them to come to me? We need to take a closer look at the image of Jesus. We need to look really closely at who he is and how is my life matching up to that. Jesus has given us the perfect example of who we are to be. We are to be like the Son of God. I need to spend time with him if I'm going to be able to do that. How do I know what Jesus is like if I don't ever spend time with him, with his word? And I need to reconsider, who am I spending my time with? Who am I looking for, for support and comfort? Who am I spending my free time with? That affects me. That affects my spiritual walk. And how's my prayer life? How much time do I spend talking to my creator, to the one in control of all things, to the one who is able to give me breath and life and boldness? How much time do I do that each day, each week, each month? Maybe I need to work on that. Let's go look at Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. I believe that every one of us here is capable of boldness, but we can have all the boldness, all the courage in the world, but unless it's grounded firmly in the Lord, it's really not going to help us at all because we're fully dependent on the Lord. We're his disciples. We've been bought by his blood. We have salvation in him alone. And we're to be boldly going around making disciples. But first, it starts with my relationship to him. I can't help someone out of a pit if I'm in there in the pit too, right? I have to be, I have to first address my own spiritual health before I can help others, before I can teach others. But on the other hand, when we're thinking about the importance of boldness, if I already have salvation, why do I need to take this seriously? Why can't I just keep to myself living my own life for God? That'd be a lot easier, wouldn't it? If we didn't have to worry about other people too, we just take care of ourselves. So why is that important? The last place I'd like to look at is in 2 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 7. Why is it important that I'm sharing the gospel with boldness? 2 Kings 7. Starting in verse 3. Now there were four men who were lepers at the entrance of the gate, and they said to one another, Why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, let us enter the city, the famine is in the city, and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. So now come, let us go over to the camp of the Syrians. If they spare our lives, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. So they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. And when they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, there was no one there. For the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and of horses and the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, Behold, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to come against us. So they fled away in the twilight and abandoned their tents, their horses, their donkeys, leaving the camp as it was and fled for their lives. And when these lepers came to the edge of the camp, they went into a tent and ate and drank and carried off silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. 
And then they came back and they entered another tent and carried off things from it and went and hid them. And then they said to one another, we are not doing right. This is a day of good news. If we are silent and wait until the morning of light or the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. These lepers found something. They found something great. They found good news. They found life. They were going to die without this. And so they were taking as much as they could and hiding it. And then they realized what they were doing was not right. It was selfish. To have something this great and not share it with others, it's selfish. And we have good news tonight. The tomb of our Savior is empty. He lives. And the waters of baptism are ready for you. If you need to make any changes in your life, or if you need the prayers of the congregation, or if you need to take part in this good news, this gospel, and obey it, please come forward while we stand and sing.